welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Mary, good evening. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I'm so happy to meet you and happy to be here. Thank you so much. Of course, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you could take the time to chat with me. So I'd like to start by asking how you describe yourself and what you do. Well, sometimes I describe myself as a neuro nerd. A neuro nerd, okay. Because I am mad, passionate, obsessed with neurology and you know, it, it, I just love understanding how the brain works. And I feel like, I feel like we, we often talk about space being the, the next big frontier or, you know, the final frontier, like in Star Trek. But really, I think that consciousness is our next big frontier. Hmm. And there's just such a mystery to it. And I don't know. I'm just like, so I definitely describe myself as a neuro nerd. Um, I'm also this, I'm deeply passionate about being an entrepreneur and public speaking and, and really just figuring out what impact I can make in the world. And I know a lot of people say that, but I'm like, so all about it. Mm-hmm. So neuro nerd, that's, so I don't get that very often on this podcast. So what piqued your curiosity in, in the workings of the human brain? That's a great question. It came at me from multiple different directions. Um, there was a, I had a need in my business that I run. I, I own a collection agency and for, for a long time, I was wanting to take a sales approach about doing the debt collections, like as opposed to threats and intimidation, mm-hmm. but the sales approach was not working. And uh, one of the reasons it wasn't working is because my competition was using threats. And so fear is going to win out over sales because we have something – we're wired towards something called negativity bias. Mm-hmm. And so negativity bias makes us have a stronger reaction to fear stimuli than we do to positive stimuli because it's – because, you know, back in the caveman days, we needed to keep ourselves out of harm's way. So we have a stronger reaction to fear. Right. So it was like understanding concepts that would help me with my job and wanting to be able to collect this debt. And then the other reason why um, it wasn't – the sales approach actually failed is because – the sales approach to debt collections did not address the real issue, which is the shame and the unworthiness that people feel when they just owe money. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's stuff that's rooted deeply in our belief systems and our subconscious mind. And so right there again, I'm put back in this place of, of wanting to understand the mind and, and neurology. And outside of that, it's also because uh, my son is on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so when he got diagnosed, um, first of all, I'll be honest, I was in a denial stage for quite a while, maybe about a year. Okay not wanting it to be true. It felt so devastating to receive this diagnosis. He's 18 now and he's totally fine. But, um, yeah, so I started researching about the nervous system and wanting to understand everything I could about why his operating system was different than my operating system. 
Okay. So with with your own research on this, what were what were some of your favorite books or were there you know particular scientists, the thought leaders or other people you were looking at that, to kind of help pull together your your research on this topic? Hmm, that is such a great question and my mind's going blank on the books. I know there's a really great book called Subliminal, and I watched. I, I probably watched a ton of documentaries. Okay. And so I'll tell you the truth. I used to watch tons of documentaries that were about near-death experiences. Oh. Um, and then outside of that, so I did mm-hmm. a ton of research on near-death experiences because you've got a lot of people who are, say, anesthesiologists and you know medical doctors that are studying that as a science. Mm-hmm. But then you've also got more of these people that study it probably for more spiritual purposes, you know, trying to investigate what happens to our consciousness when we die. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always really admired the Einstein. You'll have to help me with this one. But what is it? it what is the one that Einstein said? Energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be. Um, oh, I have to. Uh, I, give I have me one to, second, and I will. <laughs> you can look that one up for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. If it was earlier in the day, I would have it. But it's. Um, it could only be something like reorganized or re, re I, I don't know. You'll you'll find it. But like even outside of that, I think that I got I really got into deep into like the neurochemistry side. So studying the chemicals that our our hormones are releasing when we're in a fight or flight situation, or we're in the when we're in the honeymoon effect of a, of a new relationship. Right? We have this like mm-hmm. euphoria, and they and so I, I definitely loved Dr. Bruce Lipton's book called The Honeymoon Effect. Mm-hmm. And also uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who he teaches workshops, and he, I think he's got a brand new book out called Supernatural or Superhuman or something like that. But um, he's somebody that he came back from an injury where he was unable to walk, and and he talks about and he learned these methods how he was able to bring himself back from this in, injury. Uh, by by self healing, you know. Actually, another person I met, Keith Mitchell. He used to be, he used to be a football star, and I met him at a yoga retreat in in upstate New York or um, at Omega. Mm-hmm. He was teaching a yoga retreat there, and he got into an injury on the field that left him paralyzed, and he was never expected to walk again. And he brought himself back. So he's he's now this like world renowned yoga teacher, six foot three. I mean, you would never believe this man ever had an injury to that magnitude. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Um, so I found what you were what you were talking about before. Okay, it's, it's it's from the conservation of energy, and the law. This law means that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Rather, it can only be transformed from one form to another. Is that what you're talking about? Or no? Yes, and okay. so. And so we know that we know that there are synapses, you know, we know that there are synapses and um, neurons and we we know that there's some sort of electrical stimulation in the brain, mm-hmm. but we don't know what happens to it. And so we've got these scientists um, studying things like microtubules and don't ask me what they are because I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I'm a neuro nerd, not a yeah. neuroscientist. Sure, sure, sure. Which is even more exciting that way. <laughs> Thank you. So has your... Well, I think maybe it probably has, um, but your your love of and fascination with the brain also then transformed to words and the power of words. 
Yes, because I really dived deep into personal development probably about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I... I'm studying all this stuff about high achievers. You know, I got into the Tony Robbins world and I walked on fire and jumped off telephone poles and I 100% drank that Mm Kool-Aid. And I started just, I guess I sort of graduated that level and I kept going deeper and deeper and deeper in understanding um, more and more about how we are programming ourselves, like how our subconscious works and how, how we're running on things like a like a pre-installed program in our mind. Like I'll give you an example. The other day I was at, um, I was getting a massage at my friend's house and I walked into her bathroom afterwards and I turned the light on and then I noticed, said, it's not dark in here because she has a big window in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I thought, why did I turn the light on? It's not dark in here. Well, I turned the light on because 95% of the time when I walk into a bathroom, it's dark and there's no window. And so it's an automatic, it's an automatic behavior to turn the light on. But that's such a great example of so many automatic behaviors that we just run on and do on autopilot without even thinking about them. But if we even think, and I was on another show one time where we were talking about the concept of free will and, and this, this, um, this guy that has this show, like his concept was there actually is no free will, that everything we do is like pre-established based on our programming, hmm. mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because, of course, I had the opposite, um, I had the opposite stance that we do yeah. have free, free will and that we get to choose the programs that we install. Yeah. And so this is where you come into the power of words. Because it's like this repetitive, um, almost like self-hypnosis that the words that we're repeatedly saying to ourselves and to others are having an effect on us at a cellular level, some of which that we understand and some of which that we don't understand yet. But we're looking into it, and that's cool. Mm -hmm. Has your, your, your fascination with words also, have you gone down the path of like, um, influential words and, and like how to, how to get people to use words that make them do things either for better or for worse? Yes. So this goes back to my business again, because Mm -hmm. where a lot of this started for me was when I was trying to solve this problem of, of debt collections, I decided after that big failure, um, I, I just, I just looked at the phone one day and I said, I want the next person who calls to be happier at the end of the call than they were at the beginning of the call. And it was actually the most brilliant thing that I ever, that I've ever done because what happened was I started to really pay attention to what words were triggering people. And that led me to understand that just by people having a debt in the first place, that they were already triggered when they even called our office. And so I felt like, and I actually told all my staff, I'm like, okay, so our goal no longer is to collect the money. Our goal is to make the person happier. And my mission actually became, I want people to feel good about paying their debt instead of feeling shame and unworthiness for having a debt. And so just by paying attention and trial and error and over years, I figured out what words were triggering people. And this was any time you said something like, no, not, can't, won't, however, unfortunately. So I created a do not say list. Mm-hmm. 
and that do not say list, it's like a real thing. Like I know it sounds weird that I'm running a business without ever saying those words, but the truth is those words trigger people and they move them. And once they're triggered, what happens is those, those chemicals, um, like, like, um, adrenaline and cortisol start pumping through the body and it puts people in a fight or flight response. Well, they cannot be solution focused and fight or flight focused at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so once I understood that, I was like, well, how do I change this? You know, how do I actually say things that make them happy? And I, re- I found a set of words that I knew that if I, I say these words to people, it begins to trigger their parasympathetic or their rest and digest, and they begin to relax a little bit. And that's all I need is for them to let go a little bit so the blood starts pumping back to the solution centers. And sometimes that's as simple as just letting people feel heard, you know, just validating their experience. Yeah, that's that's an absolutely fascinating approach, especially to uh, a collection company. So after I was I was divorced 10 years ago and was stuck with a lot of debt in our in our marriage and lost uh, the house I was living in um, because the economy collapsed. And so I have a very strong thoughts about uh, debt collection because the people I was called by debt collectors and absolutely most, most of my replies were like, I would just swear at them and then hang up and block the number. Um, so <laughs> I'm very impressed. That, Real that, mature. Exactly. Uh, listen, <laughs> me in my late twenties. Exactly. I was like, Nope, you're not getting your money. Exploitive, deleted, <laughs> hang up, block. Um, or I would just say this is no longer your – or just not answer the phone. You know, Again, clearly I took a very mature approach to things. So um, so I think it's absolutely fascinating that you went the, the, the way of, again, being sympathetic. What made you want to start a debt collection company in the beginning? That's a really great question. So I was actually the youngest person in the country to open a debt collection company when I was 24 years old. And I, my parents had owned a collection agency when I was younger. And um, I thought that that meant I was an expert. Because when I was like 13 and 14, and I used to work at the office for like a dollar an hour. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think my job was um, licking the stamps and licking the envelopes. So I feel like I should check my toxic load. But um, anyway, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're 24, you're so naive. You don't – I wish I could give this, like, big empowering story about how I was going to, like, start this business and set the world ablaze. But it's just totally not true at all. I was – I felt – I actually kind of felt like a failure for many, many reasons. I felt like a failure. I I didn't think I was going to amount to much. And so I had this opportunity because my parents were going through a divorce, and it was – it was actually they'd already been divorced. But my mom was like slowly whittling this business down to nothing to the point where she was bankrupt, and it was really a bad scene. And so I had – some relationships and I went to a few of the clients and I said, listen, you know, I think I could, I think I could do this. So I started off with about 10 clients and I Mm -hmm. I had my proper licensing and I didn't know what I was doing at all. And, um, I just grew from there, but I guess what I did have was like resilience and, and spirit, you know, and I guess, you know, when you're 24, you also don't need a lot. You know, I didn't have a lot of expenses. I had a car and, whatever, a place to live. I didn't really yeah. care if I ate. So, 
and then and then within about two years, I started picking up some traction, and you know, like I said, then I but I I never really wanted to do it that threatening way. I I wanted mm-hmm. to do it with sales, but that failed and. Um, if you remind me, I also wanted to, because my divorce was 10 years ago too, so I would love for us to get into a conversation like that. Definitely. We'll, we'll definitely have the... The, the late, divorce was? The divorce, exactly. The late 2008. Divorce. Oh my God, yes. That's what mine 2008 was. 2008 uh, was great. Yeah, it totally was. The economy <laughs> fell apart. It was good times. We'll, we'll circle back around to that later. Thank you. Um, so, okay, so what was that moment then? Because then you said you went to Tony Robbins. Um, I've also done the Walk on Fire, Tony Robbins, rah, rah events, um, which are absolutely fascinating. But what, what was that moment where you were like, I need to change something and I see what Tony Robbins is doing and I'm interested enough to go and do this and see how I can change things that way? I was really inspired, definitely the first time I went to Unleash the Power Within, which is, I'm assuming, the same thing you went to. Yeah. And I went in 2005. And um, when I came back, it, I don't know that I felt like something was wrong and that I needed to change per se, because I'm not even sure I was self-aware enough back then to know that I needed to change. But I definitely saw this being applicable in my business. And I what I really loved was the whole know your outcome and what you mm-hmm. focus on grows. So uh, that's where, too, you know, I just applied that and what I was focusing on and what I wanted the outcome to be was that next person who calls to be happier at the end of the call. And then just like what Tony Robbins says during that seminar and what I was learning uh, later on that collaborated this was that when you give your subconscious or when you give your, your brain a command, it really will come up with the ideas that will see you through to that goal or to that outcome. And so... Making that the goal was sort of the, the, the moment that began me. Like I always say it's the moment that changed the entire trajectory of the rest of my life. Like it changed everything, that one moment. Wow, okay. So in then your – so you, the journey of your company and, and what you've done since then, at what point did you decide that you wanted to write a book? I, for like 10 years, had wanted to write a book, and I had this inner secret, super secret, like don't tell anybody, mm-hmm. but the secret desire to, to uh, be a motivational speaker. Oh, okay. And um, I was so embarrassed to even tell people that, but what I would tell people all the time is that I wanted to write a book, but my mantra was, I want to write a book, but I'm not a writer. And the thing about that is that words literally are like a mirror to your subconscious mind. And when you hear me say the words, I want to write a book, it's like you can see that written on my soul, like this purpose that I came in and I'm to write this book. I wanted it so badly. But I've got a big problem when the next words out of my mouth are, but I'm not a writer, because that's also revealing something in my subconscious that shows me that somewhere I've picked up a belief system or, you know, for some reason, I don't believe in myself enough that I could write this book. And so the solution to that was like, I really needed to invest in myself in order to change that belief. And this kind of goes right back into that subconscious mind stuff, you know, that that belief was buried deep inside of me and I didn't want to go through 10 years of therapy to figure out who in the second grade told me that I was not a writer. So (laughs) instead, 
I just wrote a new neural pathway and I built a new belief that supported what I wanted to do in life. And you can do that in so many different areas. And so, I mean, I wanted to write it for 10 years and I finally took action probably in around uh, 2015. And then within seven months, I had a book deal. Wow. So by take action, can you tell me more details about that? Like, did you actually sit down in front of your computer and just start writing this out? Did you like di- dictate it to yourself or to like an assistant? How did, how did that process work? Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what, that was part of the problem because in my mind, I thought that's what writers did, that they mm-hmm. sat down and they like banged out a book word for word, chapter by chapter. Yeah. And I didn't know how to do that. Um, what I did was I went to a writer's workshop at Omega Institute. It was taught by Cheryl Strayed. She's a famous writer of many, many books. She wrote the book Wild that then became a movie starring Reese Witherspoon. Oh, yeah. She was my first writing teacher, and she was amazing. And so that's the action I took. It, it, I signed up for this writer's workshop, and by the end of that week, I wrote a piece. Um, I actually called it Blink. And it was all about my daughter who passed away in 1993 from a um, very severe brain damage incident at birth and my son who's on the spectrum. And I paralleled these things with my roller coaster life as an entrepreneur. And at the end, when I read this short story to the class, no one said to me, hey, look, you're not a writer. In fact, it was the opposite. Like people were in tears. People were hugging me. I had several women ask me if they could use that piece um, for their, you know, anthologies or whatever they were working on. And it was this moment that my brain had this evidence that it needed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes if you take one step in a new direction, it's it's like 10,000 new possibilities open up for yourself. Yeah. You just have to take that one step. Huh. So, okay, so... 2015, you wrote the book, and then you said, and then you had a. So, did you write the book and then submit it and get a book deal, or how did that, how did that, that correlation work? Okay, so, um, how crazy do you want this story to get? As crazy as you want. All right. To tell. Okay. It. All right, I'm going to tell it then, and I've yeah. never told this on a show before, so okay. this is this is honest to God what happened. Okay. Um, actually, no, I I did not do that. <laughs> what I did was I wrote a book proposal. Okay. And I got home from that writer's workshop. I really didn't do much, but I think that I believed in myself a little bit. And then um, something came around from Hay House. They were having a, a writer's workshop. And if you go to their writer's workshop, you get to submit a proposal. So I thought, cool, here's my chance. So I go to this writer's workshop, and I learn all about writing a proposal. And um, I start writing a proposal. I worked on this for s- five months five months I'm writing this proposal and it's all about my business communication strategy. And then literally the, the, the proposal was due in like, uh, I think in August and it was September and it was July. And I realized, you know what? Hay house is not going to publish a business book because they are a spiritual and personal growth and development publisher. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what the hell am I going to do? So I go off to this, I go out to this meditation retreat and this meditation place, it's such a crazy place. It's up, it's, it's at this place called Monroe Institute. It's up in the um, Blue Ridge mountains in Virginia. I actually don't think they're mountains. I think they're foothills, but they call them mountains. Um, but whatever, they're really cool. Right. Okay. 
But this guy, Bob Monroe, he, he's such a fascinating person to me. I read all of his books where, which he's the one that was really behind the original like binaural beat type of technology that people use for meditation mm-hmm. now. Yeah. But like back in the forties and fifties when he was first developing this, he was doing all these experiments with um, brain waves and getting people put in certain brain waves, um, by using these, this uh, different frequency technology in, in each side of the ear. And it was just fascinating to me because I was never somebody who was good at meditating. Like I could do yoga all day, all day long, but then the moment it's time for Shavasana, I want to walk out the door because it's boring. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so I want to go to Monroe. I want to go to the Monroe mountain so I can learn how to meditate. And while I'm there, I meet this guy and this guy's name is Will Harris. And it turns out he has my same birthday. So Will decides that we're twins, and Will Harris is the Tony Robbins of India. Okay? okay. So he's my twin, except yeah. for like I'm five foot ten white girl, and he's like a five foot three bald black man. <laughs> we have the same birthday, and he's two years older than me. But we do we have like these synchronistic. We have this like a lot of similarities about us and what we were doing. He's just two years older than me. And he literally goes to India and he'll have like a million people come to his speech. Like Tony Robbins has like 10,000. Will Harris has a million. Wow. And it would be a whole nother story for me to tell you how that happened to him because it's actually kind of funny. But so Will says to me, Hey, I'm going to be doing this motivational weekend in, in New York. And I want you to come and, you know, you're going to come on stage with me and we're going to do this. So I'm like, great. And so I literally now decided to take my, my regular speech that I give for words that work, which is my business communication strategy. Mm-hmm. And I just like put a big old line through it. And I said, law of attraction. And I just changed every step in my communication strategy and called it law of attraction. And I recorded this speech on my cell phone. I told you this was going to get crazy. Yeah. I recorded this speech on my cell phone and then I transcribed it and then I worked with an editor to reverse engineer a, a book proposal. But the reason I called it Law of Attraction is because this place that Will and I were going to give this speech was Lilydale, New York. Have you ever heard of it? I have not, no. Okay, so Lilydale is the oldest spiritualist community in the country. Now, what I understand this means, and I know this because I've been to Lilydale, is in order to live in Lilydale, you have to talk to dead people. So it's literally spiritual mediums. Wow. Okay. I know. It was the craziest trip ever. (laughs) So (laughs) he said, Mary, you cannot go to Lilydale and give a speech about business. He's like, you have to make it spiritual. So I was like, shit. But see, I already, but see, here's what's interesting to me. Look at how I had a need to be filled. Like I needed to change this proposal. So with Mm -hmm. two months left before I, before my deadline for the proposal, I recorded this speech. I I came up with this crazy outline about law of attraction, which by the way, my book is not about law of attraction. I'm not trying to give anyone that impression, but uh, I used that for all these concepts that that became this book, Conscious Communications, your step-by-step guide to harnessing the power of your words Mm -hmm. to change your mind, your choices, and your life. And the proposal turned out amazing. 
And I won first prize. I had a book deal. All of this happened within seven months of going to that first, that first writer's workshop. And I only had something like two months left to, to start over on a brand new, a brand new proposal. But it's like the whole way I just felt like the universe, God or whatever was just feeding me every step along the way of what I need. And that's just like this power of these synchronicities. And you can't, you can't explain that with neuroscience though. Right, right, right. Yeah, all those, just the, um, you're right, because there's so many amazing things that had to happen in a particular order for all this to go through. Right. I mean, like, I had to go to this crazy Monroe Mountain. And when I say it's crazy, it's like because this Bob Monroe buck guy, he bought all this land. And the only people that he let, like, buy parcels of the land were all of these, um, like, ex CIA people. (laughs) I'm not kidding. You can't make this up. Like, wow. Yeah, so like uh, I was there again this summer and uh, at another meditation retreat. It's super cool. Like I love stuff like that. It's just yeah. I don't know. It attracts me. But so I'm literally up on this mountain and I'm staying at what they call ba- Bob's Mountain Retreat. And next door is where his son-in-law's house is, and he owns the next plot. And it literally the the name of this guy's book is Memoirs of a Psychic Spy. <laughs> oh wait a minute, is it the same? So I I read the book um, Staring. The Man Who Stare at Goats um, by the – oh, my gosh. What's the British author? Um, but it's about the CIA psychic spy program. I wonder if it's – It probably has this guy in it. I mean the yeah, guy's, the guy's name that I'm talking about, his name is McGonagall. But see, when you go, when you go to this place, when you go on one of these meditation retreats, all of these facilitators are all of these guys that used to be in these like secret government programs. I'm probably getting get in trouble saying this. I mean, no, not really, because they're all public about it. Right. But it's just the trippiest thing ever. And the stories they tell are just incredible. So you'll have to share that book with me uh, later on. I will. I will. I'll look it up again um, once I come up with his his name. It's, he's a fascinating British writer who, who wrote that, which then it became a movie. Um, but this mountain retreat sounds amazing. Totally is. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you write the book then and, and then, so have you, so I, I saw that it came out in 2017. So it did, did it just take like a year or so for it to, to go through the publishing process or has it been like updated yeah, and improved since then? No, my deadline. So I got the, I signed the book contract in like December of 2016. Mm-hmm. And then my writing deadline was like nine months after that. Cause see, I hadn't written the book. I only had a proposal. Okay. And so it's a, it took me um, a long time to write the book after the proposal was finished. Cause my thought was like, I don't need to write this whole book until I know whether I have the book deal or not. Yeah. Um, so I, I wrote the book and I turned that in and then it took a year after that to do all the editing and the book packaging process and, and all of that, you know, working with all the Hay House people. It's a lot of moving parts to a book. Yeah. Excellent. So has your, your, your goal to, to be a motivational speaker, has that improved since your book came out? You know, it, it, I'm really living it. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm so, I'm so happy and excited to be. I'm really making that impact that I, that I told you that I'm making. I get letters from people all over the world. I literally got an email from someone in Cape Town, South South Africa, who's mm-hmm. read my book, and she's telling me how it's changing her life. I get, I get letters from men, from women, which leads me to invitations to speak. So I'm definitely living that dream, and I'm still on the very 
first steps of it. You know what I mean? It's like, you know how, and I don't know how old you are, but you're old enough to be divorced for 10 years. Uh, But (laughs) you know how whenever you go through like another decade of life, you, you evolve as a human. Yeah. And so I feel like this is this is the next step in my evolution where I'm really learning how to truly lead other people and especially younger people, especially the millennials and, you know, teach them entrepreneurship, teach them about making an impact, teach them about having a humanitarian plus company and and really doing things that are propelling our our human race forward because it's so Mm -hmm. important. Yeah. So in your own journey, what would you say has been the best investment you've ever made? That's such a great question. I have no idea. I guess I'm going to say um, I think the best investments that I've ever made are the ones in myself. Mm-hmm. Those, are there... the only, those are the only ones that paid off. Sure. <laughs> sure. And investing, investing in. I, I have this amazing workforce. Yeah. Uh, my, my staff. I just have a staff of just ultimate rock stars. And I haven't. I don't have this staff because I've been the best leader or I've made the best decisions in life. And it's not. It's certainly not because I have like a friendly personality. But I think that because my business is built on a mission, mm-hmm. that people are really willing to get behind me. And my staff just they amaze me every day. Yeah, that's great. Those the times in your journey where you've hit fear or hit times and you're apprehensive and you're not sure what to go do next. How do you approach fear and how do you push past it? That's such a. I, I love talking about this because lately I've been talking a lot about the difference between empowerment and disempowerment because I mm-hmm. love taking these sort of buzzwords, and empowerment's been a big buzzword lately, and and just wanting to demystify that. And so what I've really thought about lately is everything that you create from a uh, from empowerment or from a, a state of being that's empowerment is going to create in your life stronger, faster, better longer lasting and more impactful. But if we go to the opposite of that, and that's the disempowerment, that's the fear. And understanding that fear as a state of mind, anything that you do, anything you create or manifest from that that place of fear is going to be weak. It's going to be stressful, chaotic. It's going to be uncertain. And it's really like walking through that cement mud. You just don't feel like you're getting anywhere. And so what I think is important to do is when you're in the state of disempowerment or the state of fear is to step back and think about taking care of yourself. And I'm talking about true self-care because what you need is you need your brain to get back at like a, a you need your brain to go from that stressed out state to that um more relaxed state and a state of being where it can access the problem-solving areas of your brain. I actually wrote an entire process called Five Steps to Break Through Your Breakdown, mm-hmm. and it's all based on neuroscience. So each step of the way is based on the chemicals that if you – like, for example, making a list. So our brains love lists. Human beings, they love to make a list, and they love to check things off of the list. Like when you go to the grocery store. Yeah. 
You got your little list. Now you have an app. You don't have a piece of paper anymore. But we just love that, you know. So what happens is there's a dopamine response and a serotonin response when you make a list. And so there's a study done by Matthew Lieberman at UCLA that just by making a list or naming your problem, you actually feel better about it. Because what happens is your your brain starts to create dopamine and serotonin. Mm-hmm. And so each one of those five steps is like that. It's all designed to build on the last one, and it's going to create chemicals that help you feel more compassionate towards yourself, which would be stuff like vasopressin. Um, and until, you, until you've stimulated that part of your brain, that's going to help you see the solution to your problem. Mm-hmm. Mm, fascinating. Have you – actually, I'll not to start making more lists now um, on things that I do just to make that easier. Do you ever do – like when you look at fear, do you ever do, I guess, like fear setting where you're like, what's the worst case – scenario that could happen if this situation actually happens and then how can I avoid that worst case scenario do you ever kind of go that far in your planning yeah can I be honest with you sure I'm just thinking about this as you're saying it to me but you know I think and I hate to admit this about myself this is like a moment of true self-awareness here yeah the major things that cause me fear are money related really what yeah, because, well, I think it's, I think it's because when some, something threatens your money situation, mm-hmm. it threatens your very survival. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm saying that outside of like my children. Right. I mean, obviously, if something were to happen to my children, I it would be that would be the ultimate fear. Um, but I think that from like a day to day anxiety standpoint, it's. When something has happened, when something has infiltrated my world Mm -hmm. that is going to deal with a money situation. But um, I know like the the biggest rock bottom I ever hit was after my divorce. Mm -hmm. And I was comatose for two years, like totally. I I, I think I call myself a functioning catatonic. And so I was so wiped out that I – couldn't even process what to do in my next steps. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that um, that a lot of, I guess, your your fear over money manifested around that time and, and still kind of pops up every once in a while? You know, I think it has just a lot to do with the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. you might have a year where it's great and you. You know, you've got like your business is like a cash cow and then the following year it could be completely the opposite. Mm -hmm. And so I think that part of it is going through the um, going through the entrepreneurial journey. I think part of it probably has to do with like watching my mom's empire slowly dissolve. And, you know, I mean, I saw her lose everything. So and I was pretty young still Mm -hmm. when when I saw that happen. Yeah. So that's that's partly it. Now this is not a crippling fear or anything, but right. a lot of times it's just when something unexpected happens that is money related, you know. But that's still nothing compared to what I went through with my divorce. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Um, all right. So, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Well, I remember when I was a kid, my dad told me to always hire people who were smarter than myself. And 
I think I stand behind that one. I can't say it's the best advice I've ever given, but it's definitely the one that comes to mind. I know I have this quote. It's actually my own quote, but it's that um, everything you say, everything you do, every word that comes out of your mouth, every action you take, every choice you make in the thinnest sliced moments of life is either creating a connection or driving a disconnection. So I think that as far as advice to give, it's to me, it's always about how are you creating a connection to the things in life that you want. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, thank you, Mary. I I, uh, I know it's getting a little bit late, and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. This has been fantastic. If the listeners would like to see more of your writing and more about what you're working on, what's the best place they can do to do that? I am pretty easy to find. So all over the internet under the name Mary Shores, S-H-O-R-E-S dot com. That's my website, my LinkedIn, my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. I always say if you resonate with what I'm talking about and you want to know more, if you jump on Amazon and check out the book Conscious Communications, you can read the description. You'll know right away whether the book is for you. And I believe we gave you a link for a free download for the first chapter of the book. As well. Yes, you. Yes, you did. So I will put the link to Amazon and the link to the free chapter in the show notes. Awesome. And yeah, I look. Well, I also have a Facebook group. So if if you guys like that kind of thing and you want to reach out to me in my Facebook group, it's called Fearless Ambition. Oh, excellent. All right, I'll put a link into that one as well. I'll just I'll I'll do more research on you and link them all. That way, I'll save the listeners some some uh, extra researching. You're the link it up man. I love it. I am. I am. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Mary. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.